Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN. ESPN.com, Giants reporter, and we're here with the projection episode. Yes, the regular season is right around the corner. The Giants have a game in about 10 days. I'm taping this on a Thursday night. Uh, they play next Sunday against the Tennessee Titans on the road, open the 2022 campaign. We're going to talk to ESPN lead fantasy analyst, Mike Clayton, a little bit. Yes, lead fantasy analyst. He's helping fill that void left by Matthew Berry, the legendary Matthew Berry, that is. And uh, we've had Mike Clay on this show the last few years. I think his projections are some of the best in the business. Obviously, they're projections. So they're not, you know, nothing is perfect, right? Nobody's going to project exactly how the NFL season is going to unfold. That's pretty much impossible. But he does really an excellent job with the projections. So we'll talk about where the Giants stand in the projections. Their win total. Um, they're mostly focused on the offensive players. Uh, Saquon Barkley had what, what Mike's kind of expecting from him. And then the wide receiving core, which is a big muddle right now of, of guys. And kind of how do you make sense of who's going to catch passes and who's going to be in what role? We'll get to that in a few minutes. First, I want to talk about uh, earlier today. Blake Martinez, the Giants middle linebacker, he was released. Uh, it was a mutual decision by both parties. There was a little song and dance that went on the last couple of days, if you were paying attention. So Blake Martinez wasn't at practice two days ago. So Wednesday, Blake Martinez wasn't at practice. He was, he was excused for personal reasons. Now, he comes back the following day on Thursday. And he's working on the side with, you know, for a little bit with, uh, at least from what we saw, with the middle uh, inside linebackers coach, eggs, they call him. And later in the day, Blake Martinez is released. Both sides agree to it. There was uh, conversations going on throughout that time for the previous two days. And ultimately, they thought it was best for both parties. If they sever ties now and now granted, this is 10 days before the start of the season. So this clearly wasn't something that they expected to happen. I mean, Martinez expected to be on the team as recently as Thursday afternoon when he was on the field. I mean, he returned to the field. So they, it looked like it was trending towards, hey, he's going to be back. He's going to play out this season. Remember, he's in the last year of his deal. They renegotiated his contract this offseason. Now, his role, you have to remember, has kind of been decreasing a little bit, right? He's coming back from an ACL injury. It appeared that the Giants had viewed Tay Crowder as the three-down linebacker, the three-down inside linebacker, and Blake Martinez was essentially going to play a, a two-down-ish type role, right? Not ideal for a guy who's proven in this league, had 150-plus tackles the year before. And uh, I think ultimately it was just determined it's best for both parties to move on and do it now. And you say, well, why didn't they do it earlier? It's a fair question. Why didn't they do it earlier? Like to do it 10 days before the season starts now puts the Giants in a curious position because now they have to fill middle linebacker spot where they had a good player, a proven good player in Blake Martinez. The top two options right now are rookie Micah McFadden mid-round pick, and Austin Calitro, who's really a journeyman who's bounced around the league, but who had a pretty good preseason once he signed midsummer. So we'll see who ultimately fills that, and that, that kind of creates some question marks 
that this Giants team has. Week one, you wonder, man, what can this defense be? They are installing a new middle linebacker. It doesn't look good. I bet against both uh, Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau at this point because we haven't seen them on the field even working with a trainer on the side yet. Now, maybe they're working inside. Maybe next week. Still to be determined. But if I had a bet on it, I'd bet we're not going to see both those guys week one. Ojolari has a calf injury. Thibodeau has a sprained MCL. And then you go to the secondary, and we know the secondary problems this team has. Aaron Robinson at CB2, huge concern. He had a very troubling summer. And then the depth. I mean, the Giants just totally <laughs> redid their secondary depth. I mean, they, they just went through uh, claims and then a signing of, of Tony Jefferson, who's on the practice squad. So they just picked up one, two, three, four, five, six players that essentially are likely to be on the roster for week one. And I'm counting Tony Jefferson because I'm almost expecting Tony Jefferson to be up really quickly with this team. He's a wink guy. He wouldn't have come here, in my estimation, if he wasn't told that he was going to be a big part or he's going to be a part and contributor to this defense either immediately or rather quickly. So then they pick up Tyree Phillips, an offensive lineman from the Ravens. Jack Anderson, an offensive lineman, a guard center. Oh, both those guys are guard centers from the Eagles. Jason Pinnock, who's a safety from the Jets. Justin Lane, who's a cornerback from the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And Nick McLeod, who's a cornerback from the Bills. So clearly, this team did not think that they had a great roster because they're adding players left and right. They're already at five. I'm not even sure if they're done. And that leads us into Joe Shane. He talked on Thursday. And the number one takeaway from Joe Shane, aside from that, Kenny Galladay had a, a little procedure on his knee. We'll talk about that in one second, right? But it's that Joe Shane made it painfully clear that the New York Giants, and we already knew this, they're going to take their medicine this year. They understand that. Now, he didn't say they're not going to win games or compete or try and you know be a decent team. But he did say this. He said that they knew that they were in the situation that they were in regards to being tight against the cap. They're going to have to make... Uh, they're going to have to restructure a contract in order to get under, to be cap compliant by the beginning of the, by the start of the season next week. Said that. And they not they didn't make many big moves. You know, they haven't made any big moves recently. They're not going to make any big moves recently. So stop asking about Odell Beckham. So unrealistic. It's ridiculous. I'm not ever going to put things at 0%, but damn, that's pretty close to 0%. Odell Beckham coming back to the New York Giants this year. Think about that. The team has zero money. They're unwilling to make zero moves. They're going to go zero big moves. They're offering everybody the minimum. And now they're going to go sign Odell Beckham, who's still recovering from an ACL injury, his second, in November? Tell me how that makes sense. Tell me how that makes any sense. It does not. 1%. Literally, 1%. So Joe Shane's not going to make any big moves. He's not going to sacrifice anything really for the future aside from this contract. He has to restructure. They basically have no other option. They have to restructure this contract. The Blake Martinez deal barely helped them. It doesn't really help them against the salary cap at all. So that move had zero to do with that. So now you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, Joe Shane, look, this is year one of our program. We're not making any big moves. We're just kind of taking our medicine and we're going to try and build something moving forward. That's what I took away from him talking. 
Also threw in that Kenny Galladay had a little procedure this offseason. Pretty sure it was on his knee. Not positive. But anyway, that could give you a little glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, that Kenny Galladay struggles this summer. His movement has not been great. I used the line like ran like, uh, with the stiffness of a mannequin. Maybe, just maybe, it's him getting healthier. Because we did see the same thing at the beginning of last year. And I thought by week four or five against the uh, Saints and Cowboys, he started to look a little better and run a little better. So he missed most of all the spring with this little procedure, as Joe Shane called it. It gives you a glimmer of hope. One other thing I want to mention is heading into week one, I think Josh Zudu, the rookie third round pick out of North Carolina, probably has the inside track to start at left guard. So you're looking at, you know, Wandale Robinson playing a, a significant role. Sterling Shepard also, I think, by the way, has a chance to play week one. He's been looking good at practice recently. So, you know, Wandale Robinson, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius, Tony, all have been banged up, obviously. Tony's had a, you know, that knee procedure this offseason. He had a little hamstring problem recently. Shepard's coming back from the Achilles. So you're probably going to see those three guys rotate in a lot. Probably also going to see a bunch of, you know, four and five wide receiver sets because, boy, is this tight end group. I mean, the Giants had a tight end. Tanner Hudson. Make the team. The guy was basically there for a week. That's, the, that's, that's how weak that position group is. A guy who showed up, basically was living, breathing, and running, got a spot on the roster immediately. I'm not saying he's not better than what they had anyway. Their, their tight end group is Daniel Bellinger, a rookie fourth rounder out of San Diego State, who, who struggled in the preseason. He's a rookie. Going to have his up and downs. Tanner Hudson, who they just claimed, and Chris Myrick, who they threw a pass to once last year from one yard on a play action in the end zone. It literally hit him in the chest from one yard, wide open. And he had to catch the ball with his butt, with his backside. He caught the ball with his butt. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. So that's where the tight end position is right now. I don't know if you could find a much weaker position group in the NFL than the Giants' tight ends right now. And remember what I said, they're not going to spend on guys. Any Everybody that they're, they've they're talked to, free agents, whatever, you know, street free agents out there now that you're thinking about, if the Giants are going after them, the offer's going to be for the veteran minimum. That's what it's going to be. Maybe you drop more. Maybe they'll throw in some bonuses or something. They're not willing to pay much more than vet minimum for anybody. Take their medicine, year one, try and bulk up the roster even more in year two, build through the draft. That's the plan of the new regime. Let's get to Mike Clay. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. Let's welcome ESPN NFL fantasy analyst Mike Clay. Now, we do this every year, Mike. We do. We go over your projections. I ask you what you think about the Giants. But this year is a little different. You've sort of been moving up the ESPN ladder. You're sort of the uh, the head fantasy face right now to say the least. So let me say congratulations on that. It's a, it's a big, it's a big honor, man. You've really grinded your way up. We, well, thank you. I appreciate it coming into the kind words. It's uh it's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been uh, a heck of a roller coaster this off season, obviously with our, our good friend, Matthew Barry uh, departing and uh, it's going to be a little different this year for me and uh, for the rest of our team, but we have a great team in place. It's really the key. Um, and it's gonna be awesome. I'm, I'm excited to be on the desk for fantasy football now and doing more on the podcast and all that. So it's been a, it's been a fun month and it's just going to be better all season long. Before we start, I want to ask you this because a lot of people say, you know, Hey, how do I become a, you know, a fantasy sports analyst? Like, how can I do this for a living? So give, give the people a little quick background. How do, how do you get to this point where you're essentially one of the lead analysts on ESPN in regards to fantasy football? Yeah, you have to, I think, grow up a major sports nerd. I think that's, I think that's the key, right? I've been uh, doing pen and paper stats since I was a, a little kid. You know, it's just always been a hobby of mine. I was always interested in it, and uh, my interest in sports just continued to bloom as I got older. And then, uh, you know, when I was little, we didn't really have computers. Like I'm not that old. Like I'm, I'm late thirties, um, but you know, Excel wasn't really a thing until I kind of got going during grade school. That was kind of introduced. Then we had a, a home computer and, uh, you know, that kind of started the working with spreadsheets and numbers. And then, you know, obviously um, I'm lucky to be a part of kind of the analytics movement and fantasy as well, uh, which has been huge and kind of driven this, the sport and the game forward. So um, it's just been, and it's been evolving throughout my entire life, but the heart and soul of it is passion. You know, it's just been my hobby, even when I had a real job uh, over a decade ago. Um, and uh, just that, that keeping my head down working as, you know, people notice eventually if you, if you're passionate about something and you, and you do it every day and you're good at it, uh, you'll get people's attention and then you can do whatever you want with your life. That's where that expression comes from, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't just be handed the job you want. You have to actually work for it. But if you're doing something you love it, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Unless your parents own the business, then, then you could just be handed. Okay. The job. Fair point. But- <laughs> fair point. <laughs> I guess there are people, but the rest of us, we have to earn it. And, uh, you have, and part of that is, you know, you've been doing these projections now for a while and that that's a big part of your, uh, research and, uh, you know, your, your, your background. And I think that's, uh, uh, you know, sort of separated you because you, you were big into the, like you said, the analytical side of it as well. And so I'm looking at your giants projections for this year. First of all, you tell me, is there anyone you're super excited about for the giants this year 
in regards to production, you know, this season? Uh, I, geez, I mean, the offense in general, right? How long has it been, Jordan? I mean, every year we talk about So you about are this excited and, about this offense as a whole. I, I mean, the talent's there, right? The pedigree, the raw talent, you know, the coaching's there now, I think. You know, you, you know I've been kind of hard on, on management and coaching the past couple of years, more so than you, uh, for sure, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, f- I think that bringing Brian Dable and a guy who kind of turned Josh Allen around and, and evolved that from a run heavy to a pass heavy offense in Buffalo and a high scoring offense and and really maximize Josh Allen. Because, you know, you and I, you know, meet at the, you know, we see each other at the combine each year. And and I, I talked with Josh Allen when he was a rookie and I was low on him. Right. I mean, he has succeeded my expectations by far, but he knew at that time at the combine at the combine that he had problems right he had major footwork issues he had to work through um, and it took a couple of years yep, yep, yep. yeah it took it took a couple of years for that to happen and we've seen some of that with daniel jones i mean he's thrown the deep ball very well uh yeah it's value with his legs but the passing's been super inconsistent i think part of it is the injuries around him the offensive line and the underwhelming coaching and maybe those a lot of those boxes are checked but so you uh, sound semi-optimistic on daniel jones then that he can sort of turn it around this year in brian dable's offense Look, there's there's a list of quarterbacks, I think, in the league where you're like, okay, they're kind of maxed out, right? Or they don't have much of a ceiling. They're probably never going to be a a top ten guy. They are what they are, right? Ryan Tannehill. I, I think I think that's like the guy I look at is exactly of maybe a Carson Wentz. But he is what he is yeah. at this point, right? Yeah, Carson Wentz. I think maybe like even Kirk Cousins is like maxed out at like top ten. You know? Yeah. Jones. I don't know if we know for sure. Uh, you know what I mean? It's almost like trying to judge Trevor Lawrence based on last season in Jacksonville, right? It's almost right. like a throwaway. You know? And, and I almost feel like that could be the case with Jones because he has flashed. I mean, look at his first month last season, right? At times he looks really good. And by the way, because he's a good athlete and can add value with his legs, he doesn't have to be an elite passer, right? He just doesn't have to be. Lamar Jackson hasn't been. So I, I think there's at least a high ceiling there and maybe, maybe, maybe not for sure, but maybe they can unlock it this year with, with, uh, again, better scheming and better skill guys around him if they stay healthy, which is kind of part two of what I was going to say is, I mean, yeah. come on, these guys have to stay on the field, starting with Kadarius Tony. Well, that's why when you mentioned, okay, they have all the skill position talent and, and I'm thinking to myself and, you know, cause we're at this point already, it's been like, how many years we got to keep saying that maybe it's Okay. These guys are what they are, right? They you have yeah. Tony who's always injured, Galladay who might not be what he once was, Barkley who I think you know it's fair to say he's probably not what he once was, and he has a problem saying how. So it's like we keep saying that about the skill position. Maybe at some point we might have to recalibrate those expectations. I, what do you, based on your projections, what do you think about that? I see you have Saquon for nine hundred rushing yards, six TDs. Also, fourteen games, but fifty-one catches, four hundred twenty-one yards. So. Yeah, and uh, that's interesting. I'm curious for your thoughts on Barkley because it's funny. I mean, last year I was high on him, right? I thought he would bounce back, and uh, I got mocked a lot for that. And he looked good for a month. You know, he played a lot, and he had two top ten fantasy weeks in a row, and things seemed to be going good. And then he stepped on that guy's foot, yep, hurt Jordan his ankle. Knows. And that was it. Everything was downhill for him and the whole offense. But this year, everybody's kind of high on him. Everybody kind of expect, well, he's going to be the guy and he's going to be featured. Well, like we, he was supposed to be featured last year and the year before and the year, you know what I mean? So it's just a matter of staying healthy though. I mean, that's legitimately what, like if he plays and he's on the field, he's going to produce, he's going to get a lot of ton of opportunities. So he's going to produce, but, who right. can guarantee that he could stay on the field? Right. And that's, that's what I'm concerned about. And you said, we're, 
you know, you you said it before, right? Like, is he the same guy that he was coming into the league after all the injuries? You know, is that is that what you expect? Like, do you think that he's going to be that feature back and will be highly efficient and effective and a playmaker? Or did he, you know, I don't want to say lose a step, but yeah. lose a step, you know? Is, is he going to be that same guy? Here's what I say to that. And you tell me if you could think of an alternative, right? Can he be a really good player? I could see that he looks excellent this summer. He's running well. He's admitted. He's way more confident in himself and his like he lost confidence in himself last year. And you if you really go back and watch the tape, you can see that he was running extremely tentative to the point where like his expected yards per carry. Essentially, he was an average player in the NFL. You know, like he wasn't Mm -hmm. the Saquon Barkley we've known. But at the same time, when you have a running back who basically has had three years worth of injury. You know, tell me a running back that's gotten back to his previous form. And for Saquon, that's really high. So can he get back to his rookie year form? I have doubts about that. Do I have doubts he could get back to like a Pro Bowl caliber player, a really, really good player in this league? He's young enough where I think he can. Now, you tell me, is there a running back who's basically had mm-hmm. three years worth of injuries that has come back and played at his previous level. Oof. Yeah, not that I could think of. And that's kind of my problem. That's been my pushback on him this year. You know, I haven't drafted him this year. And I don't think it's an overreaction. I think you have a lot of good young backs that are being drafted in that area in fantasy that you don't need to take that chance on them, right? So, I mean, I, I know this conversation's not all surrounding fantasy, but just in general, we're talking statistical production, right? And yeah. uh, I'd rather lean towards some of these other guys rather than just assuming that he'll bounce back and be that guy. I think probably the best, uh, you know, um, feather in his cap, I guess, from that perspective is they didn't really address the backup situation, right? <laughs> yeah, they just, they just didn't. You know, Matt Breed has struggled to hold on to a roster spot the past couple of years, and it's, you know, Brightwell and, and Williams, you know, those are the kind of guys that are there. They didn't go out and like spend a, you know, like Seattle and take a round two running back or something like that. Right, it's, right. They fully expect Barkley to be the guy by all accounts, which again is probably a pretty strong sign of confidence in him from the coaching staff. I mean, I've I've noticed this and I remember this originally. I learned it, uh, the, you know, the, the Eagles just had Brian Westbrook and he was a smaller back and he used to uh, play a ton. Like once they got to the games, Andy Reid would never take him out. Everyone used to be like, why don't you play Karel Buckhalter? Dude was averaging like five, mm-hmm. six yards a carry. And when it comes down to it and coaches get into the game, they just end up sticking to their best running back. And I think that like when the Giants Mm -hmm. get down to it, they're not motivated to save Saquon Barkley. He's on the last year of his contract. So it's like, hey, he's going to get that. Mm -hmm. I don't see that workload being limited. They're just going to be like, hey, go out there and play. Prove to us you can stay healthy uh, and stay out there. And you're you're our best chance to win. So, you know, we're going to keep putting him out there. I I don't see any motivation to limit him, especially with what you just said there as the backup. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah, definitely plays to his fans. Uh, so let's say, okay, tell Giants fans they're sitting down for their fantasy draft. What's the highest that they should go for a player like Saquon? But like, what's the highest you could see taking him in, in a draft? Oof. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not as high as others. Um, he's going, you know, like competitive 12 team leagues going in the second round now. Uh, would, you, would you say early second round is reasonable? That's uh, probably more like middle to late second round. Um, but for me, I'm probably waiting till the third at least. So, right. um, but I'm if you're a giant fan, you're obviously going to yeah, push him up yeah. a little bit. You want him on your team, I, I, yeah. So you yeah. could rooting against the line, I guess. You know what I mean? So, 
Yeah, if you're a Giants fan and you don't, you want to take him, but you don't want to look like a fool and take him in the first round, can I take him in the second round? Is that the question? Then yes, yes, you could take him in round two and you're okay. Okay, so now we'll go to the, the next position where, I mean, this this is just, uh, if you could predict this at this point, you're a genius, <laughs> but the wide receiver position for the Giants, who, if anybody, into the, do you think can sort of have that, fantasy relevant or big year well i think it's canarius tony ceiling wise right you know we yep. saw last year he had one of the best single game performances by a rookie receiver in nfl history i believe it was the ninth most yards or 10th most yards uh, by a rookie receiver in a game so you know we've seen that ceiling uh i'd feel a lot better if he could stay on the field but he looks the part he has the pedigree it's year two if he's healthy and out there you feel pretty good starting him in fantasy so he'd be the first guy i picked after that to your point it's a lottery with the next three guys, right? Wandale Robinson, he's a rookie, second rounder. Sure, throw a late dart in your draft. Kenny Galladay, same thing. You know, we know you have fairly high numbers for Wandale. I, I mean, I see 56, yeah. 646, and three. Those are those are pretty good rookie numbers for a, a guy who's going to be probably at times splitting time, you know, in, in the wide receiver mm-hmm. rotation there. So you seem you seem pretty high on him. What about him do you like? Yeah, well, what I, I like about him is that he's of the four, you know, the big four, essentially, Tony Galladay, Shepard Robinson. Uh-huh. Uh, he's the guy that's the healthiest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. you know, like he, he hasn't the other been injured are, yet, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly right. You know, he's at least, there's at least the excitement of the unknown that he might be healthy, whereas the other guys are, are constantly missing time. So that's it. I mean, you can see the target numbers projected on Robinson, Galladay, and Shepard are almost identical. I'm hedging. I, like you said, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what they're going to do week one. Galladay has a high ceiling. We know how good he can be, but he's nearing age 29. And, you know, by all accounts, the offseason wasn't great, and he struggled last year. What, I don't know what we're going to get out of him. And then Shepard, of course, coming off the Achilles is a, is a question mark, you know, his effectiveness. And even before the Achilles, he had major durability concerns. Yeah. So. I'm straight up hedging on those three guys after Tony. Yeah, with Galladay, it's sort of the same situation as Saquon. You're now two years removed, like two the last two years, he's been injury injured, right? He's dealt with injuries. His numbers mm-hmm. reflect that. He doesn't even have a thousand y- total yards in the previous two seasons. Now we find out. I'm tipping this on Thursday. The Giants just revealed he had an off-season procedure done, a small procedure, but still something. And then we saw him this this summer you know, moving, I'll say gingerly or just not moving fluidly. So again, what wide receiver Mm -hmm. basically is dealing with injuries for two years and comes back and reaches that previous form, which is the 11 touchdown, or I believe it's 11 or 12 touchdown performance of 2019. So I I assume that that is why you're semi-hesitant on uh, Kenny Galladay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and the re- recent reports, right, that it it hasn't been going so hot. You know, I was actually a little higher on him earlier in the offseason, but it just doesn't sound like things are trending the right direction, which is which is un- disappointing. Uh, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that, and he, he really gets rolling, especially what they're paying him. You want him uh, to be a success story. But, uh, I mean, you tell me what, how you ordering them. Let's say you're yeah. drafting right now. How, what, how are you drafting these four guys? Well, I drafted Tony in my my uh, my main league. You know, he yes. came fairly cheap. So I figured he's the only one that I would want to take a shot on. Now, if you tell me that they're going to have injuries to those guys, again, I, you know, like I could be sold on Wandale Robinson. You tell me Sterling Shepard is struggling with injuries again. It makes Wandale Robinson a lot more enticing for me. Uh, I really wouldn't want to invest in Galladay at this point. 
there's too much risk. So I would say Tony Robinson, I guess both of them, they're at the top of the list because of uh, potential. And then Galladay and then Shepard, just because Shepard, like there, he's one guy where it's probably counterproductive to just put him out there for 60 snaps a game. So right. he's going to be part of a rotation, him and Robinson, which makes me kind of hesitant about both those guys, right? Like those guys mm-hmm. are kind of be going in and out of the games constantly. So you're not going to be able to predict they're having great weeks unless the other one is injured or Tony's injured or, or something like that. So it makes it just really hard to predict, like you said, with those guys. So that, that's kind of where I'm at. Does that change your yeah. opinion at all? Uh, no, I mean, it makes me feel a little better about investing in Robinson, you know, but, uh, the one thing I'll say too is, and and by the way, I'm not saying Robinson is Odell Beckham. I'm not saying that, right. Don't, don't twist what I'm saying, but you know, if you're a Giants fan, uh, you kind of got a lesson in just investing in talent, right? Like take a late pick on a, on a talented player, like a Beckham, he didn't play. He missed a lot of the preseason. He missed the first couple of weeks of his career. And then he was the number one scoring fantasy receiver as a rookie, right? So yeah. uh, high pedigree rookies like Robinson, that's what you want to spend a late pick on. And you can do that, right? He's basically free in drafts. And if it doesn't work out after a couple of weeks or he's the fourth receiver and barely playing, fine, you could drop him, right? It doesn't cost right. you anything. But if he does play a big role or Galladay struggles or Tony's hurt again or Shepard can't, you know, I mean, based on the history of these guys, he might spend time as a number one. This year, like remember when Evan Ingram had to do that as a rookie yeah. in Denver that week, he was a, their, their number one receiver. Like Evan Ingram's, know, so. Evan Ingram's rookie numbers kind of tilted everyone's opinion of him. Uh, yes. Like they <laughs> skewed it because you're like, oh, look at his production. They had nobody left. They literally had nobody to throw to by like week five of that season. And it made you probably and, and I'm 100 percent guilty of this. And even though I was saying it at the time. Like it's still, I was blinded by the town and those numbers, and it skewed you thinking that he was probably more than he was the whole time. Right. So, and I do, by the way, by the way, I worry about that a little bit with Tony because I know, and you mentioned it before. You say, oh, that game against Dallas, it was great. And and it was, it was amazing. First of all, Mike Lennon was throwing to him most of half of that game. And the (laughs) other part of it is everybody was injured by like the second half of that game that he was kind of the only one left. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, he had a lot of targets for sure. But there's a lot with the ball in his hands. You, you know, it's not like he yeah. caught it and fell down. He, he was productive. It, um, it was what by the way, speaking saw of tight he ends, did get those opportunities that makes you like, be like, oh, wow, look at yeah. the potential on this guy. Right, right. I was just going to say, speaking of tight ends, I'm guessing we're not going to see many balls thrown to these guys this year. It's, uh, I think it's Oof. safe to say this is the shakiest tight end room in, in the NFL right now. I would say that this is the... Uh, this might be one of the worst position groups I've ever with I've ever seen. Like with like yep. overall, like just you know, of my years covering an NFL team, like it's 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 rough right now. I don't. I mean, we we're. I mean, there's obviously hope about Daniel Ballinger, but he's a fourth round rookie. Ask him to start mm-hmm. and do a lot is is a huge thing. And then I mean, Chris Myrick and and Tanner Hudson. I mean, they're they're like fringe players in the league, so you don't even know if you have. A hundred percent, you know, starting caliber tight end even on this roster. So, I'd be really surprised if any of them had fantasy relevance and really tore it up. By the way, you have Daniel Bellinger as the leader in uh, receptions with twenty four at the tight end position with two hundred forty seven yards and two touchdowns. So, not exactly anything that would excite you uh, or really anyone in regards to the uh, pass catching production. Yeah, by the way, and if it makes uh, Giants fans feel better, uh, Brian Dable, 
has a history of this, right? So, you know, in Buffalo, they didn't really use the tight end that much in the past game. He loved to use three and four wide sets. So uh, that's another reason why Robinson's projection is higher because I have a ton of targets, actually just a hair under 70% of the targets going to the wide receivers, which is a big number. Only 13% for the tight ends, which is lowest in the NFL. Uh, so that's another reason kind of to have a little bit of excitement for the receivers. So you'll like this then. So I asked uh, Joe Shane today about why they kept so many receivers on the final roster. And he said, we have an offensive head coach. And yeah. then Brian Dable chimed in with, and this was joking, but I'm not sure how much joking it really is. Cause I think it's a possibility. He chimed in with five wide, five wide. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if we saw a lot of four or five wide, you know, very soon early in the season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, Dable has experience. He did that with Josh Allen and it worked pretty, pretty darn well. They just didn't before last year with Dawson Knox, he had a little bit of a breakout. Uh, they were using tons of receivers and not throwing to the tight end. In fact, even last year, they were their second tight end was a sixth lineman often. Right. That's they, yeah. they wouldn't even have a second tight end active, which is unheard of. Right. Yep. It's unheard of. But, uh, <laughs> you know, again, so that should make you feel a little better. This uh, Dable knows what he's doing. Uh, in this department. Uh, well, two more here. One I'll ask you about the defense, and we'll go on the win total in the NFC East. Uh, what anyone on the defense excite you? I see 7.4 sacks for Ojolari is your projection, 7.2 for Thibodeau, which I don't think is a terrible rookie year. Seven, eight sacks is probably a success for a rookie in this league. Uh, Leonard Williams, 76 tackles, five sacks. A- anybody stand out to you on this defense? Uh, yeah, I mean, the usual suspects, right? I think the at least the edge rushing room is uh, improving, right? That was something we've knocked them for years that they didn't address well enough. I think that's headed the right direction. Obviously, you're good up front with Williams and Lawrence. Um, the only, you know, the thing that bothers me is the secondary now. This is an area that was, that's been kind of deep, right? They had the good one-two punch a corner last year with Jackson and Bradbury, who's gone and not necessarily replaced. And then uh, safety was really deep too, but now you're kind of down to McKinney as the clear one and, and we'll see how Belton comes along. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low on the defense overall. I have them 27th. I think the, the interior defensive line is really good mm-hmm. with Williams and Lawrence, but past that, um, I, it's either guys that are young and have a lot to prove, or it's an area that's kind of lacking talent and depth. So, uh, th- their defense still work in progress. Yeah. Depth is certainly a problem on the team. It's funny. You have, uh, the offense ranked 28th and the defense ranked 27th. So not overall, the projections did not turn out well for the Giants when comparing them to the, uh, the other NFL teams. But you do have them at 6.2 wins, which isn't terrible. I guess when, when you won four games last year and you haven't really topped six wins in what, since uh, 2016? So Yeah, easy schedule. Third okay. easiest schedule. NFC East is sitting yeah, super sure. pretty this year. And what, where where are you overall on the NFC East? I'm I'm curious what your projections say. With uh, the Eagles, obviously, have become a, a, a you know a popular uh-huh. pick for a lot of people. The Cowboys were sort of the starting favorites, and I personally think Washington's roster. I know their quarterback is a huge question mark, but I personally think if anyone could surprise, it's them that their roster is better than people give them credit for. Yeah, Chase Young missing a month is tough too. It's going to hurt that defense a little bit. They it, the defense really underperformed a lot of their talent last year, so that bothers me with them. But I agree. I think they're roughly a nine win team. Uh, about you know, I have the like you said, I have the Giants around six. I have the Washington at nine. Um, but I do think the Eagles have a shot at maybe the three seed in the NFC. You know, they're going to probably compete with the Rams. So what's you know, that? Packers, Bucks. Behind there. the Rams, Packers, Bucks kind of Yeah, deal. I think the, the and like I said, the NFC East is a really easy schedule. So they could t- easily take two teams to the playoffs. I think the Eagles are the best team now. 
you know, they bring in Bradbury and Hassan Reddick and the offensive line is still great. And AJ Brown, that that is a really good team on paper. It just comes down to the quarterback, right? Does Jalen Hurts make that year three leap? That's the key yeah. for them. Uh, if he struggles, it's going to be a problem for them. Uh, Dallas is where do you good. stand on him? Yeah. I'm curious. Where do the projections stand on him? Because uh, like, he's a great, great fantasy quarterback. But when I watch him in real life, I'm be uh-huh. honest with you, I haven't been overly impressed. Yeah, uh, and and definitely a concern. The passing efficiency, right? You can't just run the ball constantly and and win in this league and keep up. So he's going to have to advance as a passer. And I definitely have some concerns there, but. You know, there's similar concerns to Josh Allen through two seasons, and he got unlocked in year three when he corrected some things. So uh, he has potential. He likes to push it downfield. And as long as he can get close to being an average passer, you combine that with his rushing, they can make a, a Super Bowl run. Remember, the NFC is not as good as the AFC. No, it, it lost some punch this year. The AFC is still stacked. And, you know, like the Eagles, they could be worse than the Raiders and make the and be the two or three seed in the NFC and the Raiders can miss the playoffs, right? Like that's yeah. how no, I agree. it is. All yeah. the like most of the good quarterbacks are now in the AFC, which is a good sign for like a team like the Giants who's trying to rebuild here. Like if they can get their quarterback or Daniel Jones pops and you know, it 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 can it's not a hard a hard road to figure to being an NFC power in the next five years if you could find that quarterback, which Obviously, a lot of teams are searching for. Right, but. right. Absolutely. And uh, if it doesn't work out for Jones this year, they're obviously going to be looking. And and by the way, you know, they the offensive tackles in good shape. Finally, uh, they have yeah. the star edge rusher like they're getting pointed in the right direction. But sometimes it takes a couple of years to to get to that point. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if this is going to be a year where they make a big leap, but maybe next year. Yeah. You know, the new blueprint to get things done in the NFL is really develop the team, build the team up. And like you just said, you got tackle, you got uh, some skill position players, you got edge rushers, and then you get the quarterback and you have the quarterback on the rookie deal with a team that's ready to win around them. That's kind of the new blueprint for success in the NFL. So uh, Mm -hmm. it seems like they're headed in the right direction in that regard. So Mike Clay, thank you very much. Uh, Congratulations again on the amazing uh, promotion and the success that you're enjoying, man. Thank you very much. Always fun to do this. Talk a little Giants and hopefully it'll be a little more positive in, in future years. I mean, I grew up you keep in, saying the same thing every year, Mike. I know, man. I know. <laughs> but it's weird. I grew up in uh, Pennsylvania. So, you know, I grew up an Eagles fan. So that's weird to say. But, uh, you know, I like the new the new management there, uh, of course. So uh, rooting for the team to, to get headed the right direction. Yeah, you but, on uh, board with the uh, Brian Dable hire for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he, he didn't have a ton of success before New before Buffalo and, and Allen, but what he did there was super impressive. So uh, I, I hope just rooting for the players here, uh, rooting for him, rooting for the, you know, the, the coaching staff here. So, um, you know, I th- I think there's at least some hope here, uh, you know, for, for this group. Uh, by yep. the way, Mike Kafka is a, is a friend, you know, and he's, you know, getting a shot to call the plays now, too. So former Eagles quarterback, actually. So, yeah, uh, Buffalo, well. a bit of the Buffalo and Kansas City offense. That's a good way to do it. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, there you go. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. 
better because it has to be. All right, let's wrap up this episode with a little quick Jordan on the beat. This is a portion of the episode where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants work for ESPN or cover the NFL in general. And let me say, today, it's Thursday evening right now, was a monumental day for covering the Giants. Because for the first time since the 2019 season, we we were allowed back in the locker room, right? Of course, COVID, COVID restrictions kept us out the past couple of years, but we're back this year. Now, we were in the locker room after the last couple of preseason games, but that's not the same. I'm talking about the ability to go and meet and talk to players in the locker room and go around. I mean, I met guys that have been in, on the Giants for two or three years that I've never met face-to-face. Interviews mostly, it's by request, pulling people out. So, you know, at ESPN, there's not a ton of bottom-of-the-roster stories you're writing. So there's guys in that locker room that I went up to. I mean, CJ Board, guy I've never met. Been with the Giants for a little while here, for a minute. Now, the last time we were in the locker room full-time was 2019. Some of the players that were on the team at the time, the last game of 2019, the Giants started a wide receiver, and I just looked up the box score with the name D. Scott. I couldn't even figure out who D. Scott was. Damari Scott. He started a game for the Giants in week 17. The wide receivers were Cody Latimer and Damari Scott with Caden Smith at tight end. And Sterling Shepard also. So they went three wide receivers. The coach was Pat Shermer. So... Now we're allowed back in the locker room. It gives you an opportunity to meet guys, talk to guys, create relationships, and really uh, learn more about the team. You get to learn more about individuals if you're able to talk to them face-to-face. There's no doubt in my mind. It definitely adds a different element, lets you, uh, you know, it lets me tell better stories because I know more. I understand more about who they are, about... Uh, maybe if somebody has a good backstory, I, I, I can have a conversation with them. Like I remember several years back talking to Nick Gates and I'm telling about, you know, his mother and uh, she was struggling with her health at the time. And he, he was telling me about it and just gave me an opportunity to know and understand Nick Gates. And now when I wrote a story about Nick Gates a few months ago about him coming back from that injury, I understood like what Nick Gates was all about heading into that story, I feel like. Because I had had that opportunity to talk to him and bond over, you know, his mom being ill at the time. So there's a huge benefit. To that. By the way, DeAndre Baker was on the team the last time we were in the locker room. Think about how long ago that seems. Alec Ogletree was on the team the last time that we were in the locker room. Man, it has been a long time coming. And now we are Back. So hopefully I'll be able to bring you better stories, uh, deeper stories and better information, more information. So the, the open locker room, a huge benefit to reporters and uh, our ability to do the job well. That is where I think personally I thrive. So we'll see. Hopefully the players will be receptive because remember for a second, some of these guys, because when you go in college, in college football, they don't open the locker room. It's not pros. In college football, it's a very controlled environment. They bring players out to the podium. Younger guys almost never speak. It's very, very controlled. Coaches are super control freaks. And they don't have a rule like the NFL does. That's negotiated between the league and the players and the media. 
that they're obligated to talk, that the locker room's obligated to be open for 45 minutes on days when they practice. So some of these guys, if you think about it, have never had the never been in a locker room where the media is allowed to come in and, and talk to people and do interviews. So it's a whole new world for some of them, too. And we'll see. I'm sure they don't love it, but uh, it's something as a professional, the system as it is that you have to learn how to handle. And, you, you know, you, you certain guys go hide. They disappear every time the media comes in. And I'll and I'll say this. The first time we go in there, Kadarius Tony's sitting there and he talks. So I think that's optimistic. We haven't talked to him since July 29th. It's been over a month. We get in a locker room. He's sitting there. Immediately he talks. So it creates opportunities. Now we know, okay, what's Kadarius Tony kind of dealing with? How's he feeling? How's his health? Because we haven't, you know, he's been on and off the field for a month now. So huge bonus. Kenny Galladay too. He stood up there and talked. Told us about how he's feeling. We got a chance to ask him about being on the field in the final preseason game. You know about the the, the procedure that he had. I don't know if we. I doubt. I I don't know if we would we would have been able to talk to those guys had there not been an open locker room. It's definitely debatable because the players are going and taking off for the weekend. So huge benefit to having an open locker room for a reporter. I will say. So first time since 2019 today. Monumental day. We're back. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, like, subscribe, tell your friends. Hey, I'll do a, a, a Giants After Dark before the start of the season. So send me your questions. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, email, Facebook, TikTok. I'll be looking out for it on all platforms. I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. <laughs> 